Welcome to a special message from the Hollyview Church Retreat. We gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here is the second message from the retreat. This is The Reformation with guest speaker, Eric Wood. All right, good morning. Again, I'm Eric. I like Thanksgiving and fall and going by boat. Oh wait, that was last night, right? Deja vu, huh? Remember, we're going back in time. Uh, I forgot to tell you last night, my, my wife has invented a device to bring back herbs from the future. She calls it her time machine. Time machine. Come on now. Come on. I, I, I heard a really good time travel joke tomorrow. You put the punchline first. So would you guys like to learn how to write a time travel joke? Where's my pen? What do we want? A time machine. When do we want it? It doesn't matter. There we go. Okay. We're done with that. Our goal remains to get back to the first church, to get back to Pentecost. We want to examine how things have gone wrong and how they've gone right and get back to how it was at the beginning, which, to remind you, is from Acts chapter 2. PowerPoint. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Last night we looked at The Great Awakening, the 1700s in colonial America, and this morning, we'll look at the church at the time of the Protestant Reformation, and specifically, the very beginning of the Reformation in 1517. Uh, I I just learned this, studying this, I grew up a Protestant, I grew up, I've been believing 30 plus years, I never knew this word came from a group of people protesting the Catholic Church. They wanted to reform the Catholic Church. It didn't work out that way. The church excommunicated them, and so the reformers all started their own church. And so we have Lutherans and Baptists and Methodists and Anabaptists and on and on and on and on. A quick refresher from last night, why we study church history to appreciate the sovereignty of God, 
to see how people who love Jesus follow him, to avoid chronological snobbery. Let the breezes of the centuries blow through your mind. To live courageous Christian lives today and to remember, 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 remember. I love that song we sang, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. That second verse, Here I raise my Ebenezer. The children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years and they are finally on the threshold of the promised land, but the mighty Jordan River is in the way. God parts the river and they walk across on dry land and they're commanded, one person from each tribe, take a stone from the middle of the river and stack it up. Raise an Ebenezer so that you can look back and remember what God has done for you. So you can tell your children, look what God did for us. He provided for us. Remembering is vital to the Christian life. And uh, the Reformation particularly is worth our time because we are still reaping the benefits. Most importantly, the Reformation returned the, tr- the church to its true tr- treasure. Whew. Let's try that again. Time machine. The Reformation returned the church to its true treasure, the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We won't take the time to get into these other details, but here are three things that we enjoy today thanks to the Reformation. All the churches that are going to meet tomorrow morning on the Lord's Day, they're going to enjoy these three things thanks to the Reformers. The Reformers brought back the sermon. Praise God. I love to preach. So I'm so thankful that the Reformers brought this back. The church at that time was about celebrating the Mass. So the liturgy, the sacraments, the creeds, all that pomp and circumstance. The Reformers returned the sermon to the center of the church service. They exalted scripture back to its proper place. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? Acts chapter 2. Second, the singing. Congregations didn't sing in the centuries leading up to the Reformation. The Reformers restored congregational singing to the church. They wrote songs like, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. If you love singing in church, and I love singing in church, then you should thank God for the Reformers. And third, the sanctity of all work. The Reformers revolutionized daily life outside the church. They gave new meaning and importance to work. They established the doctrine of work and the various roles in the house, spouses and parents and children. The reformers help us understand that all of life is to be lived to God's glory. All of life is an opportunity to live to God's glory. You don't have to be clergy. You don't have to be a monk or a priest or a nun or a pope like you needed to be back then in order to be holy. All of life is lived to God's glory. So the first 1,500 years of the church in Europe look really interesting on a timeline. That's the history of the church. Now, if this was AP world history, we would have to talk about, you know, in, in 1054, there's the great schism and the Eastern Orthodox Church breaks off from the Roman Catholic Church, but this isn't AP world history, so we're not gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about the, the Roman Catholic Church for the first 1500 years 
is just unity. It's one church. It's led by the many popes. But if you look at the timeline of the church since 1517, it, it branches off like this crazy tree. Every denomination traces its roots to some time after 1517. You have Luther's, Lutherans, you have Anabaptists, you have Baptists, you have Methodists. There should be a line coming up for Anglicans, but I'm not good at PowerPoint, so just imagine that. Just all of these denominations spring forth from this Protestant Reformation. The unity of the church for that first 1,500 years is admirable. It's even desirable. So that's one good thing I have to say about the popes, right? They, they did a good job maintaining the unity of the church. But 1,500 years is a long time. And that's enough time for error and heresy to creep in without most people even knowing it or realizing it. Imagine you have this big, beautiful cathedral. And over the course of 1,500 years, you've made various modifications and additions. And eventually you just leave all the scaffolding up, right? Because you have to keep climbing up to get to all the points. At some point, if you step back and look, all of a sudden your beautiful cathedral is hidden behind all this scaffolding. The reformers come along and tear the scaffolding down so that we can see the beautiful cathedral again. The main error, uh, the main heresy in the medieval church is their belief about salvation. The early church didn't have an official proclamation on the doctrine of salvation. There wasn't a, a creed that laid it out. This is what we believe. So we've had to piece it together by how they taught and uh, the actions that they took to, tr- to see how they truly believed. And it went like this. Here's the medieval view of salvation. You're born. Yeah, starts at birth. Hopefully you're born into the church because then on the eighth day, you're taken to the church and you're baptized. And in that baptism, they believed in regeneration. You're baptized, you're washed clean, and then you enter in the state of grace. And so at eight days old, when you're baptized, when you're washed clean, you die then, you go straight to heaven because you're in the state of grace. The problem is we live and we sin. And so when you sin, you must confess to a priest. And the priest would, um, the priest would absolve you of your confessed sin, meaning he would declare you're free of the blame or the guilt or the responsibility of that sin as long as you pay the additional penalty, which is called penance. After you confess, you might have to pray many times a day for many days, or you might have to say 50 Hail Marys or the Our Fathers. Um, You've sinned, and you have to pay the extra penalty for your sin. I hope there's alarm bells going off in your mind. And if there are, we thank the reformers for that, okay? Uh, You pay the extra penalty so that you can re-enter the state of grace, and then you start the cycle over again, and then you sin, and then you confess, and then you pay penance, and then you're in the state of grace, and then you sin, and then you confess. Just (sighs) exhausting, right? What a cycle. It started like that, 
but then they added uh, they added something later that's called indulgence. Oh, I'm sorry. You die, right? If you haven't paid all your penance, you go to purgatory until your balance sheet can balance either by the time that you've spent there or by the, the pious acts and the prayers of the people who are still living. Finally, your balance sheet balances and whew, then you reach heaven, paradise, after all that. Okay, then they add indulgence. You can reduce the penalty of your sins. You can reduce the penance that you owe for a fee, for, for money. You pay a fee, you get a certificate of indulgence. And by the 1500s, the, the Pope had leveraged this practice to pay for the remodel of St. Oh, you jumped the gun, man. Oh! <laughs> Time machine. Um, Pope Leo X wanted to remodel St. Peter's Basilica, so he sold indulgence franchises. You could be a franchisee. You sell these indulgences. Uh, The franchisee could keep half of what he raised by selling the indulgences, as long as you send the other half to Rome for Pope Leo's construction project. He had an archbishop, Albrecht of Mainz. He came up with the idea of complete remission of sins. He, he was the top seller for Pope Leo. If you could be completely forgiven of sins with just three easy payments of $99.99, sign up now! Uh, yeah, he was Pope Leo's top earner, and Albrecht just happened to be archbishop over a group of churches and monasteries that included a monk named Martin Luther. What do we need to know about Martin Luther? Martin Luther hated his sin. He knew himself well, but he knew his God better, and he knew he fell short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Luther knew this. He would spend hours in confession, reviewing the Ten Commandments, reviewing the seven deadly sins, reviewing the Sermon on the Mount, and he would acknowledge how he didn't measure up. He didn't have a single besetting sin weighing him down. His overall corruption was his main issue. Luther's reason for confession was his deathly fear of God's judgment. He lived in daily fear of the immediate judgment of God on his life. He said on one occasion, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. He became more distressed with the enormity of his own sin and his inability to satisfy a righteous God. He wrote in his journal, Although I was a holy and irreproachable monk, my conscience was full of trouble and anguish. I could not bear the words, justice of God. I loved not the just and holy God who punishes sinners. I was filled with secret rage against him and hated him. Because, not satisfied with terrifying his miserable creatures, already lost by original sin, With his law and the miseries of life, he still 
further increased our torment by the gospel. But when, by the Spirit of God, I comprehended these words, pause for a second, he was reading Romans. And Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live by faith. He's reading that and he stops. I comprehended these words that the just shall live by faith. When I learned how the sinner's justification proceeds from the pure mercy of the Lord by means of faith, then I felt myself revived like a new man and entered at open doors into the very paradise of God. From that time also, I beheld the precious, sacred volume with new eyes. I went over all the Bible and collected a great number of passages which taught me what the work of God was. And as I had previously with all my heart hated the words, justice of God, so from that time I began to esteem and love them as words most sweet and most consoling. In truth, these words were to me the true gate of paradise. And so, when Luther heard the sermon offering indulgences for complete remission of sins, his heart and his mind were primed to discern truth from error. Luther objected to the fact that the church was offering to sell certificates of forgiveness and that by doing so, it was substituting a false hope that forgiveness can be earned or purchased for the true hope of the gospel that we receive forgiveness by the riches of God's grace alone. He wrote his grievance and he titled it Disputation of Martin Luther on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences. What a title. He wanted to publicly debate these issues. So... On October 31st, 1517, he nailed them to the door of the church. And these were the 95 theses that kick-started the Protestant Reformation. The 95 theses contained the seeds of the most important beliefs of the Protestant Reformation, especially the priority of grasping and applying the gospel. Luther longed for the hope and security that only the good news can bring. And he was frustrated with the church using Christ to take advantage of people and prevent them from saving union with God. Luther's focus on the teaching of Scripture is significant since it provided the foundation on which the great doctrines of the Reformation were built. Luther developed a robust notion of justification by faith. We are made righteous by faith. He rejected the notion of purgatory as unbiblical. He argued that indulgences and penance cannot lead to salvation. And perhaps most notably, he rebelled against the authority of the Pope. All of these critiques were driven by Luther's commitment above all else to Christ and the scriptures that testify him about him. We sang a hymn written by Martin Luther. A mighty fortress is our God. Thank you. And in that second verse, he says, If we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. 
And so you see how he got there? We don't have the strength. God does the work and gives us the strength. The two central beliefs in the 95 Theses are Scripture is the central religious authority. Do I have a slide that says that? Yeah, there we go. Scripture is the central religious authority. The Bible, not the Pope. He's starting to get the Pope's attention. And then second, salvation is only by faith, not by deeds, not by works. The Pope didn't like having his authority questioned. So Luther was eventually excommunicated from the Catholic Church, and the Reformation was begun. And we now summarize the Reformation with the five solas. Sola is Latin for alone. The five solas are Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. I think there's one more, Joby. There we go. In case your Latin is rusty, there it is in English. Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, to God's glory alone, soli Deo gloria. The medieval church had the idea that sin made us dirty or it made us weak or it, it wounded us. So their solution was, oh, well, let's make you clean. Let's make you stronger. Let's heal you uh, through, through penance or through indulgence. But do you know what the Bible says about us and sin? We're dead. We are dead in our sins. We don't need to be cleaned. We don't need to be made stronger. We don't need to be healed. We need to be raised from the dead. The good news of Christianity is that God has made us alive in Christ and that God is for us 100% forever. By God's grace alone, on the basis of Christ alone, received through faith alone, so that all things lead to the glory of God alone, with Scripture alone as the final decisive authority for discerning, teaching, and defending these truths. That's how we differ from the Catholic Church. Remember the medieval view of salvation and that state of grace cycle and all of this mumbo-jumbo. Here's what the Reformation, when it looked to Scripture did for us. Here's our salvation cycle. Again, start at birth. You're born. You're born again. You go to heaven. There's a lot of living and struggling and sanctifying going on in between, but it's by God's grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We don't pay for our sins because Jesus paid for them all. We don't confess to a priest for absolution because we have a high priest, Jesus himself, who intercedes and mediates for us. Now, don't get me wrong. Confession is still vital to the Christian life. Jesus paid our debt canceled our debt, forgave us of all our sins. We don't owe anything because that happened on the cross. Jesus canceled our debt on the cross. For us to enjoy it and exult in it and live in and through and out of it, we confess when we fall short. 
We live by faith. We say, God, you have forgiven me and I still fail and I'm confessing to you that I still fall short. Help me to live worthy of your calling. I want to look real, three, real quick at Colossians 3 because it sums this up. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died you have died to sin, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Confessing our sin is the agreement with God that we have sinned, and it must be fought. It must be killed. Put it to death. Confession of sin is not the basis of our forgiveness. It is one of the traits that show we are truly in Christ, where all our sins are covered by his blood. The church had strayed. It had become bloated. It had moved far beyond the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. The Protestant Reformation reminds us to check everything against the scriptures. Scripture alone is the final decisive authority. So beg God to reveal to you where you're embracing error in your thinking. Beg God to keep you close to him and close to the scriptures. We looked last night at Josiah's revival and the awakening in Judah. And let's look again at 2 Kings 23 and see the reformation that came about from that revival. Uh, 2 Kings 23 details Josiah's tour around Judah. He destroys idols and high places and he consecrates the temple and he destroys the vessels and the altars to the false gods. He got rid of unfaithful, corrupt priests. And then starting in verse 21, and the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. He removed what was evil and he reinstated what was good. He reformed Judah back to where it was supposed to be. Search your heart. Ask God to reveal to you what needs reformed in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reformers and thank you most of all for your word through which they were able to see 
how the church had strayed. And would you bind the word deep in our heart and help us to live by it, help us to put to death our sin and and live freely as redeemed children of the King. Jesus, thank you for your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Thank you.